2: And welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. This is Rob McConnell. We're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the iHeart Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, and, of course, our very own Exxon Broadcast Network. This is a very special two-hour show that we are tagging on today's show. We have two very fine people, known to one and all who have ever heard the expression UFO. I'm talking about the great-grandfather himself of ufology, Stanley T. Friedman, who is joining us from New Brunswick, and Kathleen Marden is also going to be joining us. Uh, Now, let's go ladies first. Kathleen is a leading UFO researcher, author, and lecturer. Her educational background in the social sciences has shaped her interest in the scientific Part of Ufology. She has lectured nationally and internationally and is a frequent guest on radio shows. Her expert testimony has been heard on the History, H2, Discovery, National Geographic, and Destination American channels, as well as news segments and documentaries. She is associated with the Mutual UFO Network as Director of Experiencer Research and the Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters as a member of its board of directors and consultant to its research subcommittee. Many know her as the niece of Betty and Barney Hill, whose close encounter and UFO abduction in 1961 stirred worldwide interest. She researched the Hill's controversial case, leaving no stone unturned to separate fact from fiction. This led to a new passion for the ufological truth and the publication of her books with nuclear physicist and scientist, ufologist, Uh, Of Stanton T. Friedman captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience science was wrong and fact fiction and flying saucer she is also the co-author of the alien abduction files with Denise Stoner she has expanded her work to include the investigation of contact with non-human entities the perplexing phenomena related to to it the history of government involvement and the investigation and study of UFOs and cover up You can purchase autographed copies of her books and read all about her upcoming conferences at www.kathleen-marden.com. And also joining us, snickering in the background when I kind of stumbled, I was going to say the great-grandfather of ufology, but I, nah, I decided to cut that out, is the one and only Stanton T. Friedman, a great friend to the Exxon and, you know, anybody who knows anything about UFOs, Stanton T. Friedman. Is synonymous with it. In fact, I understand in the new Webster dictionary, when you turn to the page, UFO Stanton's picture is going to be there. After fifty-eight years, after fifty-eight years of study and investigation, nuclear physicist Stanton T. Friedman has summarized his views about flying saucers. Now he is convinced that the evidence is overwhelming that some UFOs are in- intelligently controlled extraterrestrial spacecraft. That the subject represents a cosmic Watergate. Oh, here we go. We had Nixon Watergate, Cosmic Watergate, and maybe a Trump Watergate. Who knows? (laughs) That are no good objections to these conclusions, and that Flying Saucer Reality and its cover-up is the biggest story of the past millennium. His lecture covers five large-scale scientific studies uh, that most people are not aware of. He reviews the four major reasons leaders in the scientific and journalistic communities have not yet jumped onto the bandwagon. He covers uh, landing traces and the star map seen by Betty Hill on board the flying saucer and the scientific investigation of it by Marjorie Fish. Uh, That work focuses on her two sun-like stars, Zeta-1 and Zeta-2 reticuli, only 39.3 light-years from Earth. I I love how he put only there. You know, that's about four tanks of gas in a hummer. Um,
3: That's just down the street. It's it's just
2: down the street. (laughs) Anyway... Joining us now is Stanton T. Friedman and Ms. Kathleen Martin. And to the both of you, welcome to the Exxon.
4: Thank you. Pleasure to be be with you.
2: You know, after those two long intros, um, guess what? i got to take a commercial break. Can you believe it? (laughs) So why don't we do this Exonation? Stanton and Kathleen Mm -hmm. are going to be with us for two hours tonight. And if you'd like to find out more about Kathleen, her website is Kathleen-Martin.com. And Stanton, what's your website?
3: www.stantonfriedman.com
2: As if anybody in the UFO community doesn't know that one. We'll be back on the other side of this break as we start this very two-hour edition of The X-Zone with Stanton T. Friedman and Kathleen Marden. My name is Rob McConnell. This is The X-Zone. A place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard and we'll all return on the other side of this short break. Don't go away.
1: Help us help a veteran make it through the night.
2: Welcome back, everyone. Uh, This is a very special two-hour edition of the Exxon Radio Show. Our two guests are Kathleen Martin. She is a leading UFO researcher, author, and lecturer. And the one and only Stanton T. Friedman, the great-grandfather of ufology. To both of you, thank you so much for joining us tonight, and uh, let me see, who would like to start? Well, Stanton's a real nice guy, He, uh, you know, he's in New Brunswick, and us Canadians are very polite when it comes to manners, so let's go to Kathleen first. Kathleen, your reputation as a researcher is built around the ET contact phenomena, and your books captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO experience, uh, Science Was Wrong, and The Alien Abduction Files. What made you decide to write about the information in your new book, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers?
4: Well, I think I got a start on that when I was doing research to uh, attempt to find Philip Klass's background. I wanted to know if he worked for a three-letter agency. He had uh, done such a terrific job disseminating disinformation about the Betty and Barney Hill case, that I wanted to go to the American Philosophical Society in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and uh, take a a really good look at his archival collection uh, to see what I could find. And... When I went there, and <laughs> I realized that there was uh, a wealth of mm-hmm. information in his files. I also found that uh, Dr. Donald Menzel, another huge debunker, uh, had his correspondence files there, and that Menzel was on the board of directors uh, when he was alive at the American Philosophical Society. Edward, Dr. Edward Condon's. Uh, correspondence files were there as well as, co- uh, as correspondence files with Robert Lowe, who was a project coordinator with, uh, on the Colorado study, UFO study, along with uh, Condon, who was the director. So I found far more information than I had anticipated that I would find. And ended up making several trips there and spent several days there. Uh, Ended up going home with probably a thousand pages Mm -hmm. worth of documents uh, that contained some very, very good information that gave me insight into what was actually going on uh, with respect to the UFO cover-up. And why this was occurring as well. And... That's when Stanton and I uh, got together and decided that since we had worked so well together on our first two books, Mm -hmm. uh, we should write another book, Fact Fiction and Flying Saucers.
2: Stanton, were you surprised that uh, Donald Menzel uh, had actually been working for the NSA for 30 years?
3: Uh, It was the most surprising thing I found in all my ufological studies. I was very pleased to find it. I think it's the most significant finding I Mm -hmm. made. But yes, uh, and it's proof. There are some people who think governments can't keep secrets and, uh, you know, we'll find out everything, the internet and all this sort of stuff. And the fact that nobody, I've not seen anything published anywhere, that indicated anybody knew that Menzel, uh, during his lifetime, of mm-hmm. course, uh, um, had, uh, as he said to Jack Kennedy, President Jack Kennedy, a longer continuous association with the NSA of anybody. He did work for the the uh, Central Intelligence Agency and other uh, classified groups. He was serving his country, which made me change my mind about him, because I didn't like him while he was alive. I had one running with him at Harvard, and was it was almost ludicrous. I invited him to my lecture, and uh, he, uh, when I got on the phone with him, uh, I called early in the day, and uh, it was kind of funny. Oh, I know who you are, he said when I <laughs> gave him my name. I've seen letters and memos, and I don't know where the heck that came from. But his next line was, a Lulu, you can't be a scientist and believe in flying saucers, at which I laughed. He didn't like being laughed (laughs) at and started to rant a little bit. And I said, look, Dr. Menzel, I didn't call to argue with you. I called out of courtesy. I'm speaking on your campus, and I wanted to invite you to my lecture at 8 o'clock at whatever building it was in. Oh, well, of course I won't be there, he said. So... uh, Nobody. Uh, it was such a shock to find out, uh, and it was only incidentally that I had found out about his, his secret life, if you will. There was a one letter in the files of Dr. Vannevar Bush, who was a top American scientist, ran various organizations and so forth, and a member of Majestic Twelve. Uh, and there was a letter to Dr. Bush from a lawyer in Boston, a pricey lawyer, you know, and these fancy guys, yeah. thanking him for his work in getting Donald Menzel cleared of the charges of disloyalty and people wanting to take away his security clearance. And I was pulled over. What security clearance? You don't need a security clearance to teach uh, astronomy at Harvard. And certainly there, there were two issues of uh, Sky and Telescope magazine dedicated to Menzel. Neither one of them mentioned all this uh classified activity but that uh, put me pointing in the direction i called the legal outfit and Mm -hmm. they told me that there was over a thousand pages in menzel's papers so i called harvard and it took written permission from three different people and i meant i mentioned this not to brag but so people know they can't just walk in and get access to some of this stuff uh, You've got to make arrangements so that they'll have the material for you and so forth. Mm-hmm. Three different people had a uh, sign off, including his wife, on my looking at his papers. And then when I went there, I got a grant from the Fund for UFO Research and didn't know where to look, really, because I knew that his UFO materials were, uh, some, of them were at Denver, some were in Denver, some were in Philadelphia, and so forth. And there was a file, JFK. And I wonder, what's that doing here? You know, what's the connection? And when I got into that, very quickly I found the letter from Menzel to Kennedy after he'd been elected. And uh, there's one area where I may be of assistance to you with regard to the large national security agency, and he went on from there. And that really shook me up uh, because, you know, Menzel had been around a long time, and uh, nobody knew about this stuff his involvement in highly classified activities, except during World War II, but the war was over long before we got into serious ufology, if you will. So, uh, yes, I was definitely surprised. I developed an appreciation for the man. It turns out he helped train people for the NSA and code breakers. There's even an article in a professional journal about Menzel's contributions to... Mm -hmm. Uh, What's the fancy word for Uh, uh, code-breaking?
2: Cryptography. Cryptography. There you go.
3: Cryptology. There was an article in a professional journal that referred to my article because I (laughs) had exposed that years before. uh, Menzel's contributions to uh, cryptology. And so it was very good to find that out. I mean... Look, I worked under security in the U.S. for 14 years. Uh, unlike some people, I am absolutely convinced that secrets can be kept. Mm-hmm. I helped keep some. Uh, you know, and, and so I, I still get people. I've had people say, look, in this today's world with the Internet and stuff like that, n- governments can't keep secrets. That's nonsense. Uh you know you need sure. you have to have a need to know, uh, as well as a clearance to get access to data, and nobody's publishing classified papers on the Internet as far as I know, anyway.
2: <laughs> so, so tell me, Stan, has, has anyone ever asked you if you are actually an agent for any of the uh, government agencies?
3: A couple of people have wondered uh, who I was working for, and I th- I wish I had another source of income, I tell them, but uh, no, I didn't work for anybody. Oh, yes, you do, uh, Stan.
2: We found out that you actually do. You work for the people. That's who you work <laughs> for, my ah, friend.
3: Okay, I like that. That sounds good. Uh, well, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, working in industry, I did mm-hmm. develop an appreciation for security. And I shock some people now when they say, well, don't you want everything declassified? And I say, no, why not? I say, because there is a national security aspect. Yeah. Suppose we have learned uh, some interesting technology from recovery of crash-flying saucers at Roswell, the planes, mm-hmm. Aztec, etc. Should we put that on the table so that the Russians can add it to what they have learned? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, you know, this would be the fanciest uh, weapons delivery and defense systems you could ever build if you could copy uh, flying saucers. So I'm uh, in favor of sticking to the rules about security.
2: Do you remember and, uh, the... I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah, do, no. you re- do you remember yeah. the NSA uh, whistleblower hacker, what was his name, Campbell? No. Anyway, years ago, this guy came out with uh, some some really strange stuff about NASA and UFOs. Well, today in the one of the British tabloids, he was saying that um, the United States has actually a fleet of, of battle cruisers in outer space. Wow. Yeah.
3: This is today?
2: Yeah, this is this is today, and I'll try and find the article and send it to you, Stan, because I thought you'd get a great kick out of it. You know, it was like...
3: Oh, I will. Well, you know, one of the things about security yeah. is it's very easy for people to make up stories and spread them around. And how can you tell the truth from the fiction? You know, uh, you don't have access. So stories sound good, and there's a lot of baloney out there. Uh, sometimes I think of it as being a delicatessen <laughs> instead mm-hmm. of, a, you know, a four-star hotel, sure. five-star. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it, it's you need to appreciate the fact that we live in a world in which people collectively on this planet are spending a trillion dollars this year on things military. Now, some people would say that's a sin when there are starving children and uh, all kinds of problems that need solutions. That's right. And and so I would agree with that. But we have to recognize that that trillion is being spent. And I noticed that in the last few weeks there's been talk about Trump's budget, and it looks like you cut anything that helps kids and the poor and all those things and up the military how big was that contract with saudi arabia i mean uh, huge amount.
2: 110 billion dollars
3: you know that's such a large amount of yep. money and, and but what it, but, it kind of but what it, it kind of sickens me on one level but, right uh, What must aliens think of us? A primitive society whose major activity is tribal warfare, I'd say.
2: Well, well, maybe they think that the first thing that they should do when they land is uh, open up a boutique that sells Trump (laughs) hair. I don't know. I don't know. Stan, always great talking to you. It was was an extreme pleasure meeting you at the uh, Alien Convention in Brantford. My wife thinks you are the most charming gentleman she has ever met. (laughs) And you know what? I have to agree with you. You are very gracious. And even though I haven't had the opportunity yet meeting you, Kathleen, we have talked over the years. And you are a very fine lady. And I really appreciate the both of you being on here tonight. And we're going to take another commercial break. We'll be back on the other side of the news with Kathleen Martin and Stanton T. Friedman. Explanation for more information on Kathleen, her website is www.kathleen-marden.com. And for Stanton Friedman, it's very simple. Just like the name, the brand, the man, stantonfriedman.com. Welcome back, everyone. Kathleen Martin and Stanton Friedman are two very special guests for this special two-hour edition of the Exxon Radio Show with yours truly, Rob McConnell. And um, Kathleen, recently you've been speaking more about distortion in the Betty and Barney Hill case. What evidence do you have of a cover-up, and who was involved?
4: First, the Air Force was involved, and that is in the Project Blue Book Records, uh, the, the report states very clearly that Betty and Barney described a vehicle ascending and descending rapidly. Uh, they said that after it swooped down, it was as large as a, uh, as a dinner plate at arm's length. And remember, a, uh, the full, excuse me just a minute. I'm sorry, this this phone was there on. There is no problem, It just Kelly. keeps going on and on. Um, they said that after it swooped down, uh, it was the size of a dinner plate at arm's length. And remember that the full moon can be covered by an aspirin at arm's length. This was a very, very large craft that they saw. And uh, they also stated that it Uh, caused uh, buzzing sounds on the trunk of their car that caused them to have a tingling sensation pass through their bodies and for the car to vibrate. So uh, I found evidence that although that was in the Project Blue Book report stated by Betty and Barney, the Air Force then stated there was no lateral or vertical movement noted. They said there was no evidence presented to indicate the object was due to other than natural causes. What natural cause will swoop down on a vehicle uh, and, and cause these buzzing sounds? They went on to say that it was probably an advertising searchlight an advertising searchlight in a desolate area in, uh, during the off-season where there are no movie theaters around, there are no shopping centers. Mm-hmm. This is out in the wilderness. It is. Or even the planet Jupiter as the result of a strong temperature inversion. Well, I had to follow up on that. To, I knew that the rest was a lie. But I wanted to find out if there really was a strong temperature inversion in that area on that night, so I contacted a senior, a, a veteran meteorologist, and asked him to go to the U.S. civil uh, U.S. Uh, weather archives to uh, find out if that was even correct. So not only did he go there, but he asked two other senior veteran. Meteorologists to look at the archival records as well. And this is what they wrote back to me, quote, "The light east airflow that night would have caused subsidence warming, just the opposite, of an inversion, as claimed by the Air Force." Something else that I found that I felt was very interesting was there was a study done in 1974 at the Maxwell Air Force Air Command and Staff College. It was a research study done by two uh, military officers, and it was titled, Should the U.S. Air Force Reopen Project Blue Book? And they made statements with regard to the Hill case. That was one of the cases that they covered uh, in their paper. And they said the Air Force's explanation on the Hill case turned out to be, quote, almost as erratic as the radar and visual sightings themselves. Project Blue Book ended their investigation of the Betty and Barney Hill sighting and the corresponding radar sightings without ever recontacting the hills. This is a particularly disturbing aspect of the sighting. They said the official Air Force release concludes by stating that no evidence was presented to indicate that the object was due to other than natural causes, but makes no mention of the radar tracking. And they went on to state that the radar shimmering originally reported to the press, that was the Boston uh, Herald Traveler, when the, the story was released as the result of a violation of confidentiality in 1965. They said it was much more than a shimmer indicating an air mass. It was a bona fide sighting, and it is not clear why Project Blue Book purposely withheld information to the press regarding the Pease Air Force radar sighting. So we have here from the very beginning a cover-up by the Air Force. And it was very interesting. In my research for our book, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers, I read uh, Major, who was then a captain, uh, Hector Quintanilla's autobiography. It was an unpublished autobiography. And I discovered that in that time frame, Donald Menzel, The great debunker Mm -hmm. was working as an unpaid consultant for Project Blue Book to Hmm. debunk these cases.
2: Was that part of his his venue as uh, working for the NSA?
4: I'm not sure. He didn't say
3: so at the time. Yeah.
4: (laughs) I did find evidence that back in 1952, he met with six members of the Air Force at the Pentagon. And at that time, he asked for their cooperation in his two debunking articles that he had written. The Air Force at that time refused to cooperate with him. And then he uh, offered his services as an unpaid consultant to Project mm. Blue Book. And they also uh, rejected his offer. And so he stormed out of the office at that point. But we can see that somewhere along the way, they took him seriously and asked for his assistance in debunking these cases.
2: Unbelievable.
3: I should mention that uh, his first book was translated into Russian. This is in the early 50s. (coughs) Let's let's not have those Russians know what we're doing. If that makes any sense about flying saucers? <laughs>
2: is, is he in a relation to uh, General Flynn?
3: I don't think so. Uh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, that was bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> By the way, I, I I was mistaken. The name of the hacker was not Campbell. Uh, we're talking about Gary McKinnon.
3: Oh, oh, that yeah. hacker. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he's, he's come out and said that uh, the U.S. government has uh, is hiding the fact that they have currently in outer space deep space warships. Now, that in itself is a little funny, but I had a uh, guest on the show not that long ago who said that he was a gunner on board one of these ships. And that's another story for another time, Stanton. Um,
3: oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, the, You know, the MUFON conference this year mm-hmm. in uh, Las Vegas uh, is focusing on the secret space program. Hmm, maybe.
2: And one wonders
3: whether... I, I've always been rather dubious about this. Uh, putting stuff up in outer space is a big undertaking. It costs yeah. a lot of money, takes a lot of people, a lot of facilities. So it's not something easily covered up. And one would think that the Russians would have said something if they uh, detected our guys and, uh, you know, what are those guys doing out there? (laughs) But uh, I I don't know whether that's true or not, but, uh, yeah, McKinnon has said a lot of things. And how do you get at the truth about the secret space program? Uh, We get people standing up who don't provide evidence, and that makes it difficult. You know, you've got to believe them, I guess. And I'm, uh, I have a big gray basket. Uh, not black, not white. Yeah. Maybe. You know, give me evidence and, and I'll believe you, but don't just tell me and say you expect me to believe it just because you said so.
2: What about you, Kathleen? Um, uh, where do you stand on the secret space um, possibility?
4: You know, I think I've been quoting Stan on that, saying that it's in my gray basket. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. It, it sounds unbelievable, but I'm willing to listen uh, if there truly is evidence that this is real. I, I'm not a huge conspiracy theorist, mm-hmm. and I know that there is a great deal of false information being disseminated and people who are uh, outright lying for uh, the attention that they get, yeah. but uh, I'm... Uh, The jury is out for me, and I'm going to be attending the MUFON Symposium, and I will be in the audience with my son, in fact, listening to all of this, and then I'll be able to form an opinion.
2: I was listening to one of the major news networks, uh, not one of the cable news networks. Uh, Mind you, today there's no difference. They're all going for ratings, and they don't care how they get them. And one of the commentators says, you know, this fake news thing is making us sound as hokey as the UFO community, who, in my opinion, he said, are responsible for the invention of fake news.
3: Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's baloney. It is. You Mm -hmm. know, it's... Well, let me give you an example of something that reflects on this. Uh, General Carol Bolander, an Air Force general, Mm -hmm. an engineer, and he worked on the lunar excursion module... Uh, which was a very important uh, politically as well as uh, mechanically uh, system. Yeah. You know, because we, the Russians had been really beating the heck out of us in space. Mm-hmm. You know, so we got to land on the moon to beat them out. Anyway, General Bolander, because Ed Condon had said to the Air Force in his final report, he said, we should close Project Blue Book. It's not really contributing anything to uh, science or intelligence work or so forth. So we didn't get Bolander's. He wrote a memo, which resulted in the closure of Project Blue Book at the end of '69, I guess it was. And in this memo, he said a couple of significant things. We didn't see it until 10 years later. I think it was released inadvertently with a pile of other stuff to Robert Todd, who made hundreds of requests. Anyway, in the memo, he says reports of UFOs which could affect national security are made in accordance with JNAP 146 and Air Force Manual 55-11, JNAP is Joint Army-Navy Air Force publication, and are not part of the Blue Book system. Now the Air Force had always said Blue Book was it. Yeah. So that, that was an incredible statement. And then two paragraphs later, he said, if we close Project Blue Book, the public won't have a place to report sightings. However, as previously noted, reports which could affect national security will continue to be investigated using the procedures designed for that purpose. Another extraordinary claim. And, you know, this is an Air Force general. I called uh, Bolander. I, I, as far as I know, I'm the only guy in the UFO community who's talked to him. Uh, and he, he was very cordial. And, you know, I stress I'd had a clearance for 14 years, and I'd read his memo with great interest and so forth. And I said, it sounds to me like you're saying that there are two separate communication channels here. One for reports which could affect national security. I mentioned to him that I had just a few weeks earlier heard about uh, somebody told me he was at a base where a saucer went down the runway. uh, And it was a base at which nuclear weapons were stored. And I said, I presume this would be a matter of national security. Uh, And he agreed. And I said, then if my wife and I were driving along and happened to see a UFO, big deal happens all the time. So two, te- two separate channels, right? Yes, he agreed with me. Now, that raises the obvious question. So where's the good stuff going?
2: All right, let's answer that when we come back from this break. Exonation, okay. Kathleen Martin, www.kathleen-marden.com, and Stanton T. Friedman, StantonFriedman.com, are our special guests for the special edition, two hours of the Exon. I'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away.
7: Are you curious? Do you want to learn more about how the world works and have fun at the same time?
2: Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Stanton Friedman and Kathleen Martin, our special guests for this special two-hour edition of the Exxon. Um, Stanton, you were telling us a little bit of a story about the uh, the gentleman that you were trying to get, you know, what is what is more important what is national security and what isn't, and, and how did that end?
3: Well, we were in agreement that uh, there is stuff that we're not hearing about. Yeah. And uh, you know, how much more official can you get than the guy who wrote the memo that closed Project Blue Book? You know, I, I was very favorably impressed with him. I, as you can imagine, working on the lunar excursion module, as he put it to yeah. me, at least when we finished that, I, I didn't have to work twelve-hour days. But there was an awful lot riding on the mm-hmm. successful landing on the moon. You know, politically.
2: Sure, and least of all bringing those. Uh, most, least of all, bringing the uh, the astronauts back home safe and sound.
3: Yeah, and so the lunar excursion module was an important part of that. So this was a highly trusted individual, and uh, I was very favorably impressed with him
7: and uh,
3: disappointed as far as I know. Nobody else has uh, talked to him. Um, Hmm. But that raises the obvious question. So where did the good stuff go? And people ask me about MJ-12. Well, you don't believe in MJ-12. That's all baloney, isn't it? I've heard that line. And I say, no, if you read my book, Uh, top-secret magic, M-A-J-I-C, because that was the security notation, Uh, uh, I make a good case that there there really was an Operation Majestic 12. And to to me, it makes sense that Mm -hmm. there would be, because it's only the government that has access to the fancy equipment that can be used, one, to analyze wreckage. We're not sending that out to the... (laughs) Hey, you take it down to the lab down at the corner, will you, and find out what's going on here? You know, I, I don't think that's what we were doing. But also there's instrument data, uh, airplanes chasing UFOs, uh, electromagnetic signatures, uh, rate of change, of, uh, you know, acceleration, all all right. this kind of stuff. And only the yeah. government has that kind of equipment to make that. So you don't need Army, Navy, Air Force, each doing their own thing. You need a central clearinghouse, Uh just as it says in the Truman Forrester Home Memo. Uh, And to me, as somebody who's worked on sophisticated, advanced uh, research and development activities, it makes sense. You'd have a central place where you have people who uh, look at all the wreckage, you know. So you don't don't throw it around a little here, a little there, a little someplace else. You want to put stuff together. But that raises the, the question that, When you ask about, do I think there's a secret fleet of vehicles up there, Mm -hmm. uh, I can't say I can prove there isn't, because I'm absolutely certain that there is classified work going on that we don't know about that relates to outer space. Uh, How much? I don't know. They've done a good job of covering it up. Uh, And, you know, there is something else here, too. uh, Class, uh, to illustrate... His failure to be objective, that's a polite way of saying that
7: yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. uh when he remember he challenged me on one of the uh documents that the presented.
2: infamous one thousand dollar check
3: uh, yes uh, <laughs> yeah and and it, it was worse than I had really thought at the beginning because I didn't know until after that was resolved that he had never been to the Eisenhower library. I spent weeks there, literally, and here he's making a claim that it, it sounds absurd on its face when you think about it. They only the National Security Council only used elite type on their memos. He had nine, and they were all in elite type. Well, when I did a lot of checking, it turns out the Eisenhower Library has two hundred fifty thousand pages of NSC materials. So the notion that they were all done on the same typewriter is mm-hmm. frankly absurd. Yeah. But uh, and his challenge to me, you know, the, the guy's got chutzpah, uh, <laughs> nerve. Uh, he's going to provide. He'll he'll pay me a hundred dollars each for every genuine memo done in the same size and style type, uh, and not never having been at the Eisenhower Library. And so my next trip there, of course, first I went to my files and found 20 pages real quick of stuff done in pica type. Uh, Didn't meet all his criteria. He accepted two of them uh, because there were other wrinkles that had to be filled, the the signatures and so forth. But uh, the fact that he had never been there, uh, when I went to the library and, you know, I found 14 immediately it's easy to tell the difference between Pike and Elite. Uh, and uh, I sent him uh, copies and an invoice for $1,000, because that's the limit. He sent $100 each up to 10 And he sent me a check. And then he got very angry when I published a copy of his check <laughs> in the book. And it's in our book, Fact, Fiction, and Flying Saucers, isn't it, Kathy? Yes, it
4: is. it is.
2: And and you said he had Hutzpah, huh?
3: Well, to make a a challenge like that, when you haven't looked at any of the material, Mm -hmm. so it does raise the question, who was he working for? Now, he always made a big thing about He doesn't work for any three-letter agency. Uh, Maybe it's a different agency. (laughs) Operation Majestic Mm -hmm. 12, that's not a three-letter agency.
2: No, it's not. You know, you know, you you had talked a bit about uh, Edward Condon. It, it seems that both you, Stanton, and Kathleen have come down hard on the guy. Did you ever have any interaction with him?
3: Well, I did, and I had some uh, correspondence with him, uh, and uh, apparently that's what he sent to Menzel and to other uh. people. But uh, yeah, uh, because he, he said things. F- Look, he made it sound when the press release came out about the Condon report mm-hmm. like there was just nothing to it. But when the uh, American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics set up a UFO subcommittee and one of the things they did was evaluate the Condon report, they concluded that you could come to the opposite conclusions from Dr. Condon based on the data in the report, and that any phenomena with 30% unexplainable is certainly worth scientific investigation. So, you know, uh, I, I, what I don't understand is this. Condon was a darn fine scientist. He was elected to the National Academy of Sciences uh, in the 40s. Uh, he made contributions to science. He, he was not a dilettante, in other words. And he did have trouble with the House on American Activities Committee, and he didn't believe that the government, uh, you know, that science should be subverted by security, so sure. to speak. So it, it it's much harder to understand whether somebody had something on him. I mean, he didn't in,
7: uh,
3: investigate any of the sightings, really, didn't talk to any of the witnesses. And he said something that this really threw me. Uh, Kathy knows it by heart or sat in front of her anyway, he says something that seems so stupid for him with this background about not being able to... uh, No aliens would be able to come here for how long, Kathy?
4: He said it's safe to assume that no intelligent life outside our solar system has any possibility of visiting Earth any time in the next 10,000 years.
3: Well, that's rather... that it, it's ridiculous it when you think about it i mean uh, look back 200 years uh-huh. and, and he says 10,000 uh uh you know that, that that's absurd and coming from him it, it's particularly absurd because i respect his scientific uh, achievements and so that raises the question uh did somebody have something on him uh was it, Was he doing something he was supposed to do mm-hmm. to get the world off this question of UFOs? I, I don't know, but it bothered me, frankly, because I had—see, I mean, Condon, I can understand. I mean, uh, Menzel, I can understand. He was working for the NSA. I had done classified work for the CIA. So, okay, uh, he's somebody who knows which side his bread is buttered on, so to speak. Uh, And he even mentioned in his unpublished autobiography that he received more uh, in retirement from his non-Harvard work than from his Harvard work, Uh, which tells you he was making a lot of money outside. You know, he he was busy. Uh, But why Condon did what he did, uh, I, I don't know. And it would take a psychiatrist, I think, to figure that out. Or some evidence that we haven't yet uncovered.
4: You know, and, and Condon was strongly opposed to funding for the scientific study of UFOs. His uh, documents, his correspondence, all support that idea. And I was very distressed. By the letter I found that he wrote to the president of McGraw-Hill Publishing Company recommending Philip Class as the go-to guy for the mainstream media, stating that they should not uh, go to someone who liked Professor James McDonald, you know, and, and we all know that James McDonald was probably the greatest yeah. scientific ufologist ever to have yeah. lived. But he he said who would not make the foibles of Professor James McDonald, that Philip Class was the excellent investigator who knew the truth. And then for many, many more years, Philip Class was the go-to guy and disseminated nothing but disinformation to the mainstream media to cover up the UFO presence.
2: All right, guys, please stand by. Truth. We've got to end this segment, this hour. Exonation will be back on the other side of the news with another hour with our two very special guests this hour, Kathleen Martin and Stanton T. Friedman. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.